The following episode is one of 10 sample programs podcast as a public service of FocusedPassion.com. Get an even higher education, including courses in personal empowerment and self-mastery at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, that's FocusedPassion.com. Welcome to another in our series of personal empowerment audio programs, Finding Yourself in Paradise. Hi, I'm Michael Benner. And I'm Steve Snyder. And our program today is a field of study that didn't even exist 40 years ago when I was in college. The whole concept of positive psychology. I searched around for a program that was about healthy people getting healthier, and no such thing existed. But now... You can actually study the whole field of of happiness, of joy, of ecstasy, of bliss. And we want to explore the way of happiness. Traditionally, psychologists would study, well, there was the behavioral bit, rats and mazes. Not sure what you can learn from that other than certain learned behaviors. But then the emphasis for the longest time, I think a century or more from Freud on, has been on sick people and what's wrong with them and let's heal them. And you're right, Steve. The humanistic psychology, sometimes called integral or integral or transpersonal psychology, has come out of, hey, let's study successful people and happy people and find out what they're doing right. And it's a very different kind of study when you're studying what are people doing right. When you're looking at people who are not coping and helping them to cope, it's a struggle uphill. But when you're looking at people who are coping and looking to excel, it can be like a glide. A slide down. It can be a wonderful flight. So it's, it's studying the ways people do it. And, and our point here is that success doesn't make you happy. What we're saying here is that happiness, the experience of life being a happy experience, is what often leads to success. Yeah, happiness is the way. And You know, even people who should know better, there are people who have books and they're in the field, they call themselves motivators, and they'll talk about the outcome of happiness or the result, the goal, or, or, or the solution even that happiness represents. Well, let's look at this carefully. It's understandable as you take a step toward a goal that there is a mini-attainment in that step forward and a reason to be happy. Well, I'm a little closer than I was yesterday, so it may look like the outcome that you're headed for is happiness and then just stay happy. But, you know, Maxwell Maltz even talked about this in Psycho-Cybernetics, and when was that? 50, 60 years ago or something. The idea that humans are a cybernetic system, psycho-cybernetics, what does that mean? Psycho is mind, cybernetics is a feedback. It means you adjust as you move. And so in this way, we say, well, we need to have a goal or a desired outcome like success, for example, or this particular accomplishment. But the means to that end, the ways in the means, the path, the strategy, if you will, to move in the direction of that goal, that's the way, the via. You know, I did it via this. That's Latin for the way, the road. Some people live on via whatever. It's the path. And that's what happiness represents. Happiness is not a result so much as an attitude that is more likely to create the desired result. See, if you're operating pretty much on autopilot, then life is kind of stimulus response. Stuff happens and you knee-jerk, you do what you did last time. 
But if you can stop and become the awareness and, and become the perception in between the stimulus and the response, that's where happiness comes in. So no matter what happens out there, if you are in charge of what perception you bring to it, you can bring a happy perception. You can decide even sad things, even difficult things, you can bring, I'm a happy person experiencing this sad thing in the best possible way for me. The perception of it can always be, I see it from my point of view, rather than autopilot, I choose to see it from my point of view. And my point of view is to see it as a person who lives life as a happy person. Well, Steve and I have cooked up a list that we think represent seven different qualities of the path, or you could say seven different paths, except that they're all parts of happiness, different strategies or ways to be happy, and use that, again, as a means to create the successful outcome. Keep it in mind. Let's start first with our three basic premises, though, and then we'll get to the seven streams, okay? And... It's got to start with the idea that happiness is a quality of joy or a function, if you will, of joy, and that joy is natural and innate, that we're born with joy. Look at a baby. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to teach somebody as a baby to be happy. They know how to do it. In fact, they automatically are unless there's a reason to not be, you know, unless they're wet or needing attention or something. Gas or hunger. Yeah, or something. Or, yeah. So, so, yeah. I have the same problems today. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bigger scale. Right. But, but the bottom line is, you know, happy is the default. You know, it's like the, wherever you automatically come from, that's the happy place. So what gets in the way you know, what causes unhappy is stuff that gets in the way of you being naturally who you are. Learned behaviors. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes self-created behaviors like fears and phobias and anxieties that we learn, but we learn from ourselves. And again, anyone who's had children or been around small children, do they have temper tantrums? Well, of course. They're learning to define a world and what is mine and what is shared and, and where does the sidewalk end and the street begin at the curb, all these rules and regulations. You have to learn alphabets and numbers. And Steve, Steve does a great bit about just how much information there is to learn, even in your ABCs. And kids are overwhelmed with all of this information, but they are naturally happy, you see. So if you're not happy or a child is not happy, it's because they're at least confused. You could say anxious or frightened is a good word for it. Our unhappiness is in our confusion and lack of understanding. So it makes perfect sense that happiness then would be a path of understanding. Right. And it is that confusion that is causing us to be unhappy because our brain is confused about confusion. Our brain has confused confusion with danger. And it thinks if something is confusing, it might be dangerous, and let's act as if it is dangerous just in case. Let's play it safe and err on the side of, we're not sure, so let's pretend it's dangerous. And that's because genetically we're predisposed to doing that because we're descended from the most paranoid. You know, our ancestors were the ones who did make the right guess. Let's let's pretend this is dangerous and run instead of those who say, well, maybe it's not dangerous and, and they were wrong. So we do have that propensity for wanting to think confusion is dangerous. But when we move into that, we move into a place where we don't feel safe. And the first road really of happiness 
uh, is feeling safe. It's feeling confident. It's feeling it's feeling like you're not in danger. Like you don't have to worry about the stuff out there. You feel uh, you feel safe. And does the third element of these basic hypotheses, alpha is the means. Alpha is the way to put your feet on the path. Alpha is the way to create that sense of safety that is the happiness and the peace, the sense of freedom to be responsible for the choices in your life. That's what we're talking about. So these are the three basic premises, yeah, hypotheses. You're, you're born happy. It's who you are. It's the nature of the being. And that it's not something you do. It's what you be. It's the way, you, you know, just be happy on the way. And that the way to do that is to get out of your own way, which is to feel safe, which is to be in this alpha state. Now, here's the dilemma. If we begin as one of these paths, the idea of being safe. If we confuse comfort with safety, we might not risk. And to be happy, we have to have a sense of adventure and accomplishment, at least unfoldment. It's not moving out into the world to change the world around you so much, perhaps, as changing the interior landscape of who you are by the goals you set and the and the quests that you dedicate yourself to. And so there has to be some risk. I'm a great admirer of Dr. David Viscott, wrote a wonderful book called Risking, and I also love that quote. I, I'm not sure who gets uh, credit for it now, but I think it's a pretty old one, going back several hundred years. Ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. And we are not for being comfortable. We can be on adventures and be excited and still have the quality of safety that paradise, the alpha brainwave level, fosters and promotes. Yeah, and we do get to be comfortable some part of a day or some part of a life. It's just not the goal to be always comfortable. You know, the ship does get to be in the harbor sometimes, but it needs to go out and have the adventure there you as go. well. So we need to go out and have that adventure. And to able to do that, we need to feel safe because if we don't feel safe, if we feel endangered, if we feel uncomfortable, we'll want to stay in our harbor. We won't want to risk. So part of the process here is to feel safe. Now, how do you feel safe? To me, the acute cause of feeling unsafe in our lives is the way we automatically react to our negative thoughts and our negative feelings. That those worry thoughts, those anxiety feelings that make us tighten our muscles and hold our breath that make us get stressed. And, and so because we don't like those thoughts, we feel scared of those thoughts, we don't feel safe. So what we need to do is learn to feel safe by feeling safe with those thoughts, by responding to them with... Uh, releasing your muscle tension and letting go of your breath. And then what happens is your bad thoughts, your negative thoughts make you feel safe. They, they get endorphins flowing and they get you feel good. And so you like your good thoughts and you like your bad thoughts. And when you really like all of your thoughts, you know, that's sort of the key to happiness. Happiness to me is not so much what you think, but what you think about what you think. That's really the key to happiness. Well, you're talking about without actually saying the word, Another look at, another take, another face of safety, which is confidence. Yes. High self-esteem. In other words, what we do with the way we feel about ourselves is create an identity. And that identity is often based on false assumptions. Things that you decided when you were a little kid and never really went back and revisited. So to initiate consciously your self-growth in this area...
I want to feel safe and confident in who I am so that I can take these risks but still feel safe enough. I guess it's a relative concept, isn't it? I mean, the roller coaster, you stand in line as a little child, a boy or a girl, and there's a lot of oh no and a lot of oh boy because you're still there in line but you're thinking about running and that blend, there's a paradox in that blend of fear and excitement, one pushing you back and one pushing you forward. And, of course, the only difference, really, between fear and excitement, because in either case, whether you're terrified or you think it's terrific, your heartbeat fast, your adrenaline flows, your palms just when your mouth is dry, the difference is if you're terrified, you're <laughs> holding your breath, and if you're excited, you're <laughs> breathing a lot. You know, really, the only way the brain can tell the difference between fear and excitement is breathing. Not breathing is terrifying, and breathing a lot is very exciting. So confidence then and high self-esteem, self-confidence we're talking about, of course, and in, in, in self-esteem allows you to take that breath and say, this is excitement, not fear. And that's the quality of safety that allows us to risk. It, you have to massage this a little bit. It sounds a little paradoxical, if not even contradictory, but there's a good, healthy tension between a sense of adventure as, oh boy, and a sense of adventure as, oh no. I mean, you just can't have one without the other. That's right. And it's part of that balance that's the fun of life, you know. It's finding the balance there that is one of the most enjoyable parts of life. Because we want to take risks, but we want to take logical risks or risks that feel sane to us to take. You know, we don't want to just jump at every opportunity, you know. If you follow every dream, you might get lost, as Neil Young said. So it's it's choosing, but, but then if, if it's not a big enough risk, then we're not really moved to do it. The heart's not moved by small dreams. The heart wants big dreams. It wants, it wants long odds, you know. We're willing to shoot for things with, you know, pretty difficult odds as long as the size of the prize is, is there. So, yeah, it's, it's feeling confident. And just logically just experience the idea of moving toward feeling more and more confident and see just try it on see wouldn't that be happy i mean wouldn't the experience of moving toward more and more confident just as part of its beingness include the feeling of being happy that you're doing that that's it the second in our list of seven streams of happiness and you know i i think these are pretty good steve and i put a lot of time and thought and love into this but it's not carved in granite. I don't think this is the only way to look at happiness as a, a way to a goal. But uh, check these out. The second one is simply love and also kindness. We don't talk about that a lot in society. Yet, for some reason, the message of loving kindness, it's the core message of the Dalai Lama in Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah. And, and it goes all the way from on one side of the spectrum just compassion for all of humanity, you know, just open heart compassion to the other side of the spectrum where you do a tiny little nice thing for somebody. You, you know, you actually do a act of kindness, you know, uh, anonymously without expectation of any return, you know, kindness. It's being nice. It's having, having grace. Uh, but it's also, I think, in the big picture, the solution to much of the world's problems because kindness, I think, expands out to this this whole field of philanthropy. 
it's the only way, really, the world is going to solve the problems we have is helping each other through this giant act of human kindness. So being kind, doing nice things, that's, I mean, again, try it on Versailles. Imagine being kind and doing nice things. And wouldn't the experience of doing that leave you with this feeling, this beingness of happy? And notice how this is tied into the first stream, the idea of safety. Because what stands in the way of your natural kindness? You know how it feels, how wonderful it feels to be kind, to be generous, to be forgiving. What would stand in the way of that but fear? You know, I can't imagine anything else. It would, a particular circumstance would have to have strong elements of fear in it for you to decide I'm not going to be kind. I'm going to give up all the benefits that I would get, all those wonderful feelings of doing something nice for somebody else in order to feel safe. So these all fit hand in glove. Uh, Safe and confident is necessary, to some degree anyway, to promote the second stream of simply love and kindness. And doing nice things and thinking about doing nice things and not doing them is a a loving act for yourself. Because the best way to discover what it is you're afraid of, what it is that's blocking you, is to imagine doing nice things and see if you don't do them, why didn't you? It evokes from you the reasons that that are blocking you, the fear you're holding on to, the anger you're still connected to. And, And one of the most wonderful ways to be happy is to bring up the stuff that's blocking you, the pain from the past that you're holding on to, the emotional uh, trauma from the past, and face that trauma and breathe into it and, and take away its power from hurting you and start to heal the past. And that's another great way to be happy. Imagine if you're healing what used to hurt and still does hurt some, if you're healing that, wouldn't that make you feel happier and happier? Kindness didn't occur to me. As a young man, I don't think. I mean, fortunately, I was raised by, well, especially my mom was a kind person, and her neighbors were kind people. And it was sort of a value or an ethic, as it is in most communities in most situations, at least in the context of an us. Now, as soon as you bring in the sense of a them, now now we tend to put conditions on our kindness. And them could be, you know, real simple. It could be the... um, other high school, when you're the basketball player or the football player and you're in competition with another high school just up the road five miles, and they are the them. So you're not going to be kind to them. You're going to withhold your kindness. And I think we're really confused around this kind of stuff. And I really believe we're seeing in the world in many ways, in countless ways, is a transition from this you-or-me world, us and them, another or implied in that, to a you-and-me world, a much more inclusive, where we could still have that sense of competition, but now it's more of a a friendly, kind competition or sportsmanship. And that's very important. There's been a lot of uh, real, you know, people get afraid and, and, and they create this artificial separation too often, I think, and then you know, not only do fewer people receive the loving kindness, but the people that would otherwise have been loving and kind, <laughs> they lose out too, right? Because of the fear. 
Indeed, because if you're afraid of being kind, if it's going to be to the right person or the wrong person, or you're going to err on the side of like, well, I just won't be kind. You know, I don't want to take a chance that I'm being kind to one of them, because if I'm kind to one of them, then all of us are going to be mad at me. So, so it's, <laughs> it's really quite remarkable. As soon as we separate, as soon as we make it unsafe to be kind to anyone, it becomes unsafe to be kind. And we tend to not do so unless we purposely, consciously force ourselves to. But if we have the expectation that sort of like we're all us and being kind always has positive ramifications, even to people who don't deserve it, you know, being kind is never a bad thing. You, you know, being, you can overcare, you can be overly kind, you know, but, but being not mean, you know, being not mean is always a good thing. Well, I think the third stream then that we should talk about is probably the idea of appreciation and gratitude. And gosh, Steve, isn't there incredible power in creating abundance and prosperity in your life from a position of happiness that is, boy, I'm grateful for all the stuff I already have. Yeah, this is the easiest path for me. It always has been. Like anytime I want to like right now feel happy, all I have to do is be grateful for all the blessings that I have. All I have to do is sit back and appreciate the wonderful people that are in my life. All I have to do is sit back and look at, at Mother Nature and her amazing creation. You know, I, you know, it's so easy for me to feel appreciation, to feel gratitude for everything, so many things. And it's instant happiness. I mean, it's just instant, automatic, turn on the light happiness every time you experience it. I make it a habit, a very, very strong habit. And in addition to the habitual, I also consciously, purposely insert some extra appreciation moments throughout my course of my day. I have lots of appreciation rituals in my life. This is a big, big part of what causes, I think, me to experience and embrace the happiness experience. I think there's a physiological aspect to being appreciative and grateful. It feels like letting go to me. And in that way, I, I, I see myself promoting a receptivity to even more. It's in the letting go, I think. Letting go of muscular tension is, in many sciences, letting go of resistance to goodness, to newness, to life, to growth. Because it is new, it looks a little scary, so we want it, but we hold it off, like not too fast, not too much love. Right? Somebody loves you too much, you turn and run. Hold on, I don't know, you know. I don't know if I deserve it, you know. I'll stand up in front of a big crowd and give an award to you, but oh don't make me stand up there and receive an award. It's 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 all the confusion about who's winning, who's losing, who is us, who is them. Yeah. Deserving, of course, has nothing to do with it. To just be grateful for what you already have. To appreciate life, the universe. A philosopher would say the absolute. A religious person would say God. A uh, humanist might say providence or fate or destiny. But whatever you got, boy, uh, look around you. It could be a whole lot worse. Your friend, actually, you were telling me a story about your friend who expressed it through the story of the three-legged dog. No, Which yeah, I thought, what right. a brilliant way of expressing that. You know, you think, oh, poor three-legged dog. But what the basic story is, yeah, boy, I'm so glad I'm not a two-legged <laughs> dog because if they were both in the back, I'd be dragging myself. If they're both on one side, I'd be falling over, you know. It's like I'm so glad to be a three-legged dog. What a brilliant concept that was. 
Yeah, high school friend of mine, Tim Bates. In fact, I'm going to send him this program. You'll get a kick out of that. And at the end of his uh, presentation, he lets you in on the fact that he has a three-legged dog, actually. Cool. And so he knows from where he speaks. Thanks for that, Tim. So it's all relative, isn't it? What do I have to be grateful for? I mean, wonderful stories have been built on that awakening, that you have so much. To, how about the next breath? Okay. How does that feel? Uh, to relax. Doesn't that feel wonderful? Don't you feel more alive by consciously taking one slow, deep breath or being grateful for your ability to see to look in the face of your spouse and see that special twinkle or that little smile or whatever it was that attracted the two of you in the first place probably had to do with facial features, you know. And a sunset and rainbows and, you know, birds in the trees and clouds and what have you, we take that stuff for granted. You know, it's always perplexed me. What's the downside? You know, I mean, like, what's the downside to feeling gratitude or appreciation? Or What's the downside? I mean, wh why do people not do this all the time when it feels so good? There's a superstition about jinxing yourself. That's part of it, I guess. That positive thinking is really negative thinking, but it's a superstition. It's fear-based. It's jabberwocky. And so, so people are afraid to feel gratitude because it's like going to put a hex on something good happening in the future. Yeah. How you know that's sort of superstitious, I would yeah. think. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. So, so it seems to me the only reason that comes up for me that people don't do this is well, two twofold. A, they haven't thought of doing it, and B, is they are too locked into the way they do whatever they do, and they're not willing to make a small change and insert this in their life. Because nobody could argue that this is a bad thing to do or it wouldn't be better in their life if they did some of it. Nobody could argue that. But people won't do it because they just do what they do and they're not willing to insert this in their lives. Well, this is one of the easiest things to insert in your life. It always is good. And if at Worst, it brings up, again, negative thoughts and feelings you have about yourself. Well, that's good because that gives you an opportunity to face those. And with a breath, release them. Because, again, the way you hold on to a feeling is to hold on it with tightening your muscles and holding your breath. And the way you release a feeling is to disempower it, to take away its power by releasing your muscle tension, letting go of your breath, and letting the thought and feeling know that it can't hurt you. It, you, you feel safe even though you just had it. You bet. A lot of mystics, I know two right off the top of my head, Christian mystics, um, Meister Eckhart, the German mystic, and uh, going way back a couple of thousand years ago, St. Augustine, is also said to have written, if the only prayer you ever say is one of gratitude, that would suffice. Oh, it, it's a billion times better than nothing at all. Yeah. You know. you know, people think of prayer as a petition. Give me more. I think we get... I think Jim Morrison said you cannot petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> That's Santa Claus anyway, right? Yeah, right, That's right. Like, we confused the two, I think. Right, right, somehow. So um, gratitude. Reverend Ike did that too. He said, you don't pray to God for a Cadillac. They make Cadillacs in Detroit. And I think they still do. I don't know how many, but they still do, I think. I don't know. We'll have to ask the president, <laughs> of Barack Obama. He's the chief car maker now. Okay, so uh, number four in our seven streams of happiness is optimism and positive thinking. I guess we've all done some sort of internal struggle around this. I've heard people say all my life that uh, they're not an optimist, they're a realist. 
and they're really just a negative person trying to hedge their bets by anticipating all these negatives. Like life is an Excel spreadsheet and I got to run all the different variations and permutations and combinations of the way my life can go south and invest in all this negativity. I'm a realist. To me, you go where you look, you get what you expect, what you pay attention to, you move towards. So I'm going to be looking at the goals. I'm going to be optimistic and positive in my view. No, in fact, another name for realists is pessimist. You know, they're really the same thing. You see, the realist, somebody who they need to be right. That's the bottom line for a realist. They need, you know, they need to see exactly how it's going to go and they need to be right. They've got to choose unhappiness. They've got to choose failure. Because you can't guarantee success. I mean, you can do everything right and not succeed, but you can guarantee failure. You can find a way to screw it up. You can find a way to put a monkey wrench in the works. Even if you, like, subconsciously oversleep the meeting or forget to sign the check, you'll figure out a way. So the bottom line is the realist has this basic idea. I mean, it it, it makes a lot of logical sense. It's just, I'm going to prepare for the worst. And so if that happens, I'm ready for it. And if something good happens, heck, I can handle that. That would be a nice surprise. So I'm going to always prepare for the worst because that way nothing worse than that could happen to me. I'm ready for it. Well, what they don't understand, of course, is that preparing for the worst is preparing the worst to happen. You know, you're creating much greater odds that you will get that worst. But it all comes down to one thing. The reason people do that, the the only reason people do that, is because they're afraid of disappointment. And that only comes really from one thing, and that's pretty much bad parenting, who say, don't get your hopes up, we wouldn't want you to be disappointed. Parents who tell their kids in childhood, don't face things that could be disappointing, don't get your hopes up, cause kids to be realists, quote-unquote, which basically means I'm going to prepare for the worst, and if something good happens, I can handle it. But optimists know, I'm going to prepare for the best. I'll have a plan if the worst happens, but I'm going, to, I'm going to focus mostly on the best, not on the worst. I'll have one thought about the worst and a whole bunch of thoughts about the best. I'm going to be an optimist because that's a way more likely way to create that positive outcome. You see, pessimists have a terrible time on the way to finding out that they're right, and optimists have a wonderful time on the way to finding out if they're right. Yeah, again, if you go where you look, if you reap what you sow, if you understand this simple law of attraction, then you have to be a positive thinker. I remember interviewing Timothy Leary years ago at ABC Radio in Los Angeles, and in the midst of the interview, for some reason, I just said, Timothy, are you an optimist? And he looked at me like I was from Mars or something, like, what? He cocked his head a little. He said, well, of course, Michael, what choice do I have? And I roared. I just thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. An intelligent guy, Harvard professor, saying, well, of course I'm an optimist. What choice do I have? It was like so pregnant with a meaning and an understanding of the cybernetic nature of the mind. You know, you you set autopilot to go in that direction. It's going to go in that direction. Study the negative. We talk about worry once in in our program, Steve and I, which is look at the worst-case scenario. Steve just described it, basically. That's part of being an optimist is considering the worst possible scenario, but you can handle anything short of that. I mean, there is a Pollyanna optimist who never even looks at at a negative scenario, but that's not a real optimist. An optimist is a a pragmatist plus an optimist. That's wishful thinking. Yeah, and if wishes were horses, beggars yeah. would ride. We're yeah. not talking about that. you got to 
open your eye and fulfill the dream, take some action. I like Thoreau's line about that. He said, go ahead, build your castles in the sky. That's where they belong. Now put foundations uh, under them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, support them with some reality here. Yeah. So the idea is you do have a choice between optimism and pessimism, and the choice is very simple, very, very simple. It's just setting the autopilot or living consciously, one of the two or both, so that when a negative thought comes in, you say no to it, and a positive thought comes in, you say yes to it. Whereas a pessimist, of course, would say yes to the negative and no to the positive. You train yourself to say no or thank you for sharing. I'm glad I'm releasing that negative thought. And oh, yes, I love. I think I will embrace that positive thought. You become an optimist by liking all of your thoughts. You become a pessimist by disliking your thoughts. So you get to choose. You get to choose by being conscious. You get to choose by being that perception in between the stimulus and the response. You get to choose by living your life one thought at a time and when those negative thoughts come up you get to release them and when those positive thoughts come up you get to embrace them and then every thought makes you feel good and when you like every thought you think the side effect is happiness and i'm going to use that as a segue when you like it when you love it when you're passionate about it when you're excited and enthusiastic well that's the force you can think of it as a push or a pull as magnetic or a drive but that's the force behind the energy. You see, the, the goal, the thought that you visualize is an energy. It's a lot like amperage in Ohm's law. But there's also this quality called voltage, electromagnetic force. That's the push behind. If the amperage is the volume of electricity, the voltage is the push behind it. And we have that same relationship in thought and feeling where the thought, the goal, the dream, the optimism we're talking about is a destination, a direction to move in. It's an energy, if you will. But the enthusiasm, what we call focused passion, all right, the I love it, I, I, I can imagine already having it, I can taste it, it's a done deal, right? Though you have this ready, aim, fire, aim, aim, aim along the way quality to it, learning from your mistakes and redefining it's still that passion that drives us, and that's the fifth path, the fifth stream of happiness we're going to talk about today. That's sort of the volume knob, you know, like you, you really, you, you imagine two people, and they both have this vision, this dream of financial security, and they both imagine they have it, and uh, for one person on a one to ten, it's like a two, it feels really nice, it feels good, too. And the other person, it's like a nine, you know, well, they, they're both happy, it's, you know, this person's happy with the, the two, this person's, but this person with the nine, they've got more than happy. They've got all this passion energy they can use to propel themselves forward. So now we have the bonus. When you have happy and you add volume, have intensity, have, have excitement, enthusiasm, passion to the happy, now you've got the force, as you say, that can push you in any direction. To me, the frequency knob, like on the radio, puts us into this focused alpha state, and the passion knob brings the volume knob, brings the passion really, really loud, and now you've got this really powerful focused passion place where you can bring all of the intensity and enthusiasm and excitement. Now, the quantity of the emotion is the key because some people do it more quietly. Some people do it with a lot of confidence, you know, a lot of uh, joy, but but you can do it with a lot of volume, with a lot of enthusiasm, and that, that excitement can really be a powerful volume knob. Well, there's just two more in our list of seven streams or seven different paths of happiness in your life, and this is the idea of I like to use the word unfoldment, but this is growth and success. You can think of it as attainment. 
I like to think of it as an evocation, a bringing forth of who we already are. But it feels growthful. It looks growthful. It requires us to learn lessons along the way. That can be conflict, but we can lift it from heat to light. We can make of it a learning lesson and I think be a little more elegant in our growth than maybe we have been in the past. A lot of wonderful names that you've just used. My favorite is it's how to awake. You know, how to be awake, how to awaken, how to come awake. It's it's how to live more in a conscious awareness of the fact that I'm not my thoughts or feelings. I'm the awareness of all that. I am the big picture. I'm the conceptual thinking. That that growth, that success, that fulfillment, just as we talk about at FocusPassion.com, growth, success, fulfillment comes from being aware of the fact that I'm this being who has all these amazing abilities. And and it's it's feeling like moving toward getting what I want, the goal not being the destination, but rather the direction, just moving in the direction of toward what I want, aiming toward the bullseye, whether or not I ever get there, but feeling like I'm heading in the right direction. That's a big part of the feeling of happiness as well. Happiness comes from moving toward getting what you want, much more than from getting there. I mean, if, if, if you decide that's what you want, you appoint that as your goal, you're happy on the way toward and unhappy if you're heading away from. But if you actually get there and stay there, what you appointed as your goal, you have to disappoint because it's no longer what you want. It's what you've got, and you want what you don't have, not what you do have. So it's, it's more about the road, not the place. Again, it's happiness is the journey. We've said several times in describing each of these different paths that there are these little detours along the way. There are, uh-oh, I'm getting off track here. Uh, I'm in a ditch. You know, let's get out of the rut and into the groove, as we like to say, and get back on the direct path here, adjusting along the way. Well, those little detours, those little, um, many people would call them failures or mistakes, but you're going to see them as opportunities to learn. And they're going to require that you face your fear that you move directly into the confusion and the fear. So this needs to be pointed out because the initial reflex might be, especially as a goal-oriented person who wants to see happiness as the way, you might be tempted to run away from the fear, to run away from what you don't know and don't understand. But if you turn and face it and say, I'm in a ditch, I'm getting off the path here, but the way back onto that path is to go into my confusion, into the deepest, darkest shadows of what I don't know, especially about you. What you don't know about the world around you is one thing, but you want to just jump right to it. What don't I know about myself? And all of a sudden, you get the aha, you feel safe, and sure enough, your feet are back on that path of happiness with the kind of optimism and enthusiasm that we're talking about. Because remember, when you move away from what you don't want, it doesn't move you toward what you do want. You know, you need to move toward what you do want. And oftentimes that means through the fear that comes up and you get to face. Anytime you're in this focused passion alpha state and you're in charge, you know, you're in charge of your breathing. You can choose to breathe slowly and deeply. No matter what negative thought, no matter what fearful thought comes up for you, you're in charge of not letting it scare you, of, of allowing you yourself to continue to breathe deeply with it. No matter what thought, no matter how bad a thing had happened, no matter what it is that scares you, when you're in charge of your thoughts and feelings and you're not your thoughts and feelings, you can have the scariest thought you can have and you can still have deep breaths. 
the next time that thought ever comes up for you, it's not going to be nearly as scary because you had already faced it so well this last time. So, so understand that this is an incredibly powerful state, being in this focused passion place. And one of the keys to happiness really is facing those doubts and fears and, and knowing in this state, no matter what comes up, I can handle it. I was watching a program on the Science Channel the other day, and they had these brain scientists, these guys that use CAT scans and PET scans and MRIs to study the brain, you know, and the 3D views at all different layers. And the program was about the nature of fear. And what amazed these scientists most about the brain's fear response was that a human being could easily be frightened of something they had never experienced before. That what they were frightened of was a construct they were creating inside their heads, something imaginary that was just as frightening as something, quote, real. And then, that, so that, you know, you and I have taught that for years, that the subconscious does not distinguish between real and imagined. Said another way, the subconscious is what's deciding what's real. You see, that's why we disagree so much, even with people we love. They've decided that reality looks different to them. We're, none of us are watching the same movie. To be aware of this also, to be, to be aware on this level, as you've said, that I'm not simply my thoughts and feelings, but there's an elevated perspective just a little higher where you can look down on the thought train or the stream of thoughts. You can look down, if you will, and when I say look down, I don't really mean from a superior position, but from a more inclusive point of view. The big picture. Yeah, I can understand that I have choices about these thoughts and feelings. I don't have to agree with this thought. It doesn't just arrive with the same power as another thought. I can put an emphasis on this thought, you know, and and hold on to it, and then let that one go. I can change my mind. Most people would agree with that, but we're saying in the same way you can change the way you feel about things. Not only can you change your behavior and change your mind, change the way you talk, yes, you can even change the way you feel, and then you're more than all of those things. That's a perspective or a point of view that is inherent to these streams of happiness that we're talking about. So again, happiness really comes from moving toward getting what you want. It's growth in the direction that you want to be growing. You're going to grow. You're going to change. What you have the power to control is the direction of that growth and change and the speed at which you grow and change. So the more control, the more choices you have to do what you want, the the safer you feel to make those choices, the happier you'll be along the way. So again, a big part of recognizing that you're growing, recognizing you're changing in the right direction at the speed that you want that recognition, that awareness equates to the experience of feeling happy as you go. So it's it's a, a feeling of acknowledgement of self, of what I'm doing, I'm making it, I'm going, I'm, it, it feels good, it feels happy. So I think that's the, the sixth of the seventh. And then the last one really is sort of like a, a body one almost. It's like a it's like a kinesthetic experience of happiness. How, how would you describe it? Well, health, vitality, yeah, yeah. and longevity. There you go. Yeah, longevity and, and vi- uh, vim, vigor, vitality. All the V words. Yeah, all those good V words, yeah. <laughs> Victory. This is, again, something that as young people we tend to overlook, I think, because, you know, as kids we know we're immortal, we'll never die, we'll always be young. You'll, what's arthritis, you know? What is well, life insurance? What's that, you know? And uh, 
pretty soon the decades start passing like years and it becomes an issue. The sooner it can be important in your life to care for your health, to be vital, okay, vital, elan vital, to be alive. Steve's using the word awake in this program, same thing. To feel that vitality within you. It's just like growth in point number six. It'll happen automatically, but wouldn't you like to self-initiate an accelerated growth and an accelerated sense of vitality? That's what creates longevity. If you can influence it and manage it, then put it in overdrive. Let's get going. Yeah, I love the Benjamin Franklin line. He goes, uh, if you have love, you'll never grow old. You may live a long time, but you'll die young. You know, it's like it's like always having love makes you feel young. Feeling young, feeling vital, feeling alive and vibrant. That's that's a, definitely a form of happiness. Feel that, that, that feeling equates to the feeling of happiness. The secret in that, I think, is to, and this is all relative, but to a large degree, do not defer your happiness at any age. Live life fully and completely to the best of your ability. We, we all have to do things we don't want to do. And we spend lots of our lives, in many cases, doing things we really don't want to do. But that doesn't mean that you have to put off your happiness. You can even be happy doing the things you don't want to do by realizing yeah. that I'm doing these things I don't want to do so I can do all these other things I do want to do. When I was a kid, I worked in an iron foundry one summer. And it was the most horrible job. It was like Dante's Inferno. It was unbelievable. People died while I was there. Big ladles of molten lead and smoke and fog. And the only way I could get through the day was to pretend I was six years old and play games. In my head, I didn't let any of these other foundry workers, <laughs> you know, I didn't let them know what I was doing. But it was all an attitude. The whole secret was an attitude. I accelerated time. And it was a tough summer. I was happy to go back to school, but... But, you know, the whole secret is the attitude, is is the line. You know, that sums up the whole show, really. Happiness is an attitude that you are not given. You don't go by. It's something you choose to have. Uh, It's natural. Remember, it's innate. It's within you to be it. You just have to choose to get out of the way and release the stress in your life experience your negative thoughts and feelings as not being stressful, feeling safe all the time. That's the first step in in terms of feeling happiness. And we've gotten, uh, I guess, a little time for an audio journey to take them down some of those paths. So Let's install it. Why don't we do that? Create the feeling of happiness as a way to success. Again, it's easy to get that turned around and think success will make you happy. That's backwards. I don't care who tells you that. It's backwards. I'm sure they're well-intentioned. That is, you know, Again, why wait to be happy? Be happy as a means, as the path, as the way to the outcome. That uh, It's the direction more than the, than the goal. Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Let's do that now. Close your eyes. Get comfortable, take a nice, slow, deep breath to begin, and then do it again a second time and a third time, real slow now, pulling in strength and power as you inhale, and feel the letting go throughout your whole body as you exhale all the way, all the way out. And you notice as you breathe slowly and deeply. 
that it makes you feel safe inside. Anytime you can breathe aware, slowly, and deeply, you get in touch with the fact that you're alive. And breathing deep feels safe. And in this peaceful place that you create, you feel safe and confident, very sure. In fact, so confident that it feels pure. Feeling safe, what you begin to feel is love, so real, and it brings to mind the lovely thought of being kind. Ask yourself, do I believe this is you speaking to you, and wait for the answer. Do I believe I need a reason to be happy? Is it possible that I could be happy for no reason? Could it be that happiness is not the reward for success, but a means of attaining your goals, your dreams and solutions? That's what we're suggesting. There is no way to love. Love is the way. There is no way to peace. For peace is the way. Love and peace include happiness. There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And when you're happy, it comes to mind so many opportunities for you to be kind. For do for doing loving acts of kindness, of nice things for other folks. You have the power to be kind by choice. You have the power to listen to that happy voice and say, as it says, be kind. Bring to mind occasions to be kind. Rehearse them now in your mind. Take the opportunity to find the time to act kind. As you feel happy, it's easy to find time to be kind. And from that opportunity 
comes the feeling of appreciation and gratitude for the opportunities that you find. Trusting your first impression, allow yourself to imagine, to become aware of a picture of happiness. In your mind's eye, picture an example of you being a happy person. And ask yourself if being happy had a sound that went with it, how would it sound? <laughs> Trust your first impression. And if there was a feeling in your body, somewhere in your body, or maybe a vitality that sparkled and danced all through your being, how would that feel? It might even be a, a fragrance or a flavor that goes along with it. But put together essentially the picture and the sound and the feeling in your body of this is a good example of happiness for no reason. Happiness is the way. And with it comes positive thinking, and optimism, facing fear, taking care of the things that are blocking you so you can much more times be here. And feel enthusiasm and excitement as sort of the volume to move you forward and on. Feel that excitement. Feel the vitality of that excitement. Feel it. This is a happy feeling. Feeling of growth, a feeling of success, a feeling of being on target, a feeling of doing your best. These things feel happy. And when you feel happy, these things be. You don't have to do happy. Feel safe and you'll be happy. And all these paths that you will feel appear before you very real. So many ways to be. You give me that to be happy. So many ways. No, wait, don't don't jump on. Give me a little space. So many ways to be happy. Now in a moment, I'll suggest that you open your eyes wide awake and alert feeling rested and refreshed, really revitalized and re-energized. But first, reorient yourself. Take a few moments to remember the room in which you sit, to think about what you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes, and to tell yourself gently and simply that this feeling this effervescence of happiness for no reason can be carried with you into the waking state. 
As you begin to inhale now, take a nice, big, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, ah, feel the letting go and open your eyes. Now, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, happy for no reason. Yeah, and again, it doesn't mean that you don't have any problems. It just means that you really like solving the ones you have. You know, that's that's enjoying the proper enjoying being a problem solver is much more significant than not having any problems in terms of happiness. Happiness is a choice. I mean, there may be a genetic set point that has something to do with it, but from there, it's certainly a choice. And to me, the biggest choice comes down to how you deal with those negative thoughts and negative feelings that pop into your head that cause you anxiety. If you do so by releasing, then those thoughts and feelings can make you happy too. All thoughts and feelings feel good. All cause adrenaline to not flow like they do with negative thoughts, but endorphins to flow like they do with positive thoughts. Every thought and feeling can make you feel happy. One element of happiness that we really have not touched on, but I promise Steve and I will do a whole program devoted to it in the near future, and that's the relationship of humor to happiness and the the funny idea. You should mention that. Yeah, well, I thought it was funny. It's hilarious, actually. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine, not only to heal physical but emotional healing and mental awareness can come from that loving effervescence. That is a good sense of humor. So stay tuned. We'll do a program on that for you coming coming up real soon. And that gives us an opportunity to thank you once again for two things, really, for being a contributor here, a subscriber to this personal empowerment audio series, Finding Yourself in Paradise. And secondly, for telling your friends, using that built-in send one to a friend gadget, and I sure hope you are. I mean, you could just tell your friends an email, but it's so much easier. As long as you're coming to the site, focusedpassion.com, there's a built-in player there. Sure, you can subscribe all of these programs to the iTunes folder if you have that on your computer already. It's a free download if you don't. Use the RSS reader that's built into every web browser. Okay, that's an easy way. But there's also a built-in player right on the site. And right below that, you'll see a link that says share one with a friend. Won't cost you a nickel. As many programs as you want, as often as you'd like, help us spread the word. This is the information that a lot of folks are really looking for. Many of us are just tired of waiting for somebody to come over the hill like the cavalry in a old black and white B movie. We are the cavalry. We've got to be the change, each of us as individuals, and then supporting those in our sphere of influence, our family and in our community. You know, think globally, act locally. That starts with you. Your guided imagery exercises, your audio journeys, these programs that you can share for no additional charge. You're paying the $3.96 a month. So share these programs with your friends. They'll thank you. We thank you. And you'll feel good about it too. So join us every week for the next edition of Finding Yourself in Paradise. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. For Steve Snyder, this is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. <laughs>